Welcome and good morning, uh, Trinity Bible Church, as well as family and friends. Uh, We are continuing in the Gospel according to Matthew. We will finish chapter 17 today. I'll be reading, uh, we will be reading together from chapter 17, verses 24 uh, through 27 uh, to finish out the chapter. I will read uh, the scriptures out loud. Uh, After I read the scriptures out loud, I give you an opportunity to pray silently. Pray silently that the Holy Spirit would illuminate your heart and your mind to the truth of the word. Pray that you would be laid bare of the idols and and sins that you uh, have believed unconfessed. And I pray you take this time to confess and repent of any that you have not. And then I will pray for us corporately and we'll enter into the time of the word. Reading now from 17, starting in verse 24 from the Gospel according to Matthew. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This is the word of God. Please take this time to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your, your church, your assembly comes here on the Lord's Day, gathering in order to worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, Redeemer. And Lord, we, we gather in, in sacred assembly, in public worship. We do so not out of habit, but with intention. The church gathers on this time and this day in order to show the world that this world is not all that there is. Indeed, it is a lie. Lord, we gather and celebrate through fellowship, through prayer through corporate praises, through sacrament, and through the ministry of the Word. Lord, I pray our worship through our union in Christ. We share through being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Lord, that our worship is pleasing to you. God, but your people are in great need. Yes, there are physical needs. There are needs of of health and pragmatic needs of, of food and shelter. Our greatest need, Lord, is to be confronted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we are yet sinners, 
made new in the spirit, yet at war with our flesh. And this week, from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, we have sinned against you, God. Made idols after our own image. Seekers of self-indulgence. Liars. Cheats. God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the quickening of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of these sins, may we give them up to you, Lord. Confess them. Flee from them. And Lord, by the power of the Spirit and your word, may your people's hearts be turned and our minds be transformed more and more into the image of Christ And our affections would yearn and long, as the Apostle John wrote at the end of his apocalypse, come Lord Jesus. May our blessed hope be in the fact that our King and Redeemer will one day return and all of this battle with sin will come to an end. Lord, empower us with this hope, this power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are in the here and now until such a time called to live lives worthy of his name. God, we pray for the unbelievers in our midst. We pray, Lord, that This day, this time has been appointed by you where they would come to a saving knowledge and come to faith in Christ Jesus. And above all else, Lord, that you would be glorified and your name lifted up as we continue in worship in Christ's name. Amen. Well, This will be my last Sunday for six or seven weeks as we, the Newmans go on a, a sabbatical for that time. And uh, by divine providence, the last section of text is something that we can talk about on politics. So praise God. <laughs> and, and then I, I'm, you don't even get to ask me questions. Like, you have to send all your questions to Bo. This interesting text that we have with us today, Matthew, coming at the end of the transfiguration, coming at the end of this very public casting out of a demon. Uh, In the midst of that, Jesus is continuously now telling his disciples that as they go more and more towards Jerusalem, that what he is going to encounter will not be a throne and it will not be a celebration. He will go there to be humiliated. He will go there to be beaten. He'll go there to be mistreated, and ultimately he will go there to die as a criminal. And so he continuously is adding that instruction now to his disciples, almost in in parenthetical way as going from one teaching, healing to the next on his way towards Jerusalem, reminding them this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. And then it says, when they came to Capernaum, here in 20, verse 24, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. Now, this is a different type of tax. This is not the same as the dialogue that will be about give to Caesar what is to Caesar. This is something that was known as the atonement tax. It was, it was actually um, in 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 instilled during the time that the Jews were in Exodus. And so while they were in Exodus, as it came, the tabernacle was being, being set up. The priests were beginning to minister to the congregation in that way. This tax was taken once a year so that it went towards both tabernacle and the priesthood. And so this was once a year. And so the interesting way, and so this is not a a Roman tax collector, not even that. 
This tax wouldn't in any way go to Herod and his twisted family. This tax would go to the temple and the priesthood. And so this collector from the temple is coming in Capernaum and he goes to Peter. And the the question is an assumption more than it is a question. He's assuming that Jesus will not pay this tax. And so, interestingly enough, first century Judaism has given us a wealth of of literature from individuals like Philo and Josephus and others, who there was actually many ways that a Jew did not have to pay this atonement tax in the first century. If you were a rabbi or a teacher, you did not have to pay the tax. Check. Jesus was a rabbi. He was considered as such. A second way was actually there was a very easy way that if a person made a case and said both temple and the priesthood are corrupt, therefore I will not pay the tax, they were also exempt from the tax. And there were many during this time who did that. They stated the fact that the way the Sanhedrin worked in the first century was more as a political unit and it was a religious one, which we see throughout all of the Gospels. And so they would point to the fact that there was a corruptness to the temple. There was a corruptness to the priesthood. They could be bought off. They could be purchased. They were political animals. So people were exempt. You also had, because some people believed that, but also were a little more pious they would pay this tax once in their lifetime. And that also was considered okay. And so Jesus had multiple ways to which he, he could have not paid this tax. The final was, was that he primarily, being an interim rabbi, was completely dependent as he was no longer doing carpentry work He was completely dependent on the support of others, which in first century Judaism would have fallen under the category of one who lived by charity. They also were exempt. Now, I've lost count of how many exemptions Jesus could have counted. Was it five? It was five. Randy said four. It must be five. It was more than one. So all of these ways were acceptable at this time to call an exemption from this tax that was instilled by Moses while the Jews were in their wanderings and bringing and setting up and setting down tabernacle from whether the few years of their wanderings or for all their times in Kadesh Barnea, this would have been a yearly tax. But the dialogue gets really interesting when the collector is assuming that Jesus isn't going to pay the tax. And the assumption more than likely has nothing to do with any of the reasons I've given. It has more than likely to do with the reason that as Jesus of Nazareth has interacted with the religious elites of this time for the last few years, has been nothing short of troublesome and conflict in nature being confrontational to the point of turning over tables healing on the Sabbath, telling the the highest leaders outside of the high priest at the time that they didn't even understand the scriptures that they literally had attached to their garments. So if you're a lowly tax collector of the temple and you're coming to Capernaum right at the moment that Jesus of Nazareth has decided to come back to Capernaum, imagine this poor guy's job. He's going... He's he's probably not going to pay the tax, is he? Because if all these other people say this tax is unlawful, certainly everything I've heard of, Jesus of Nazareth, he's not going to pay it. And so this, this tax, as it were, on the people would be a religious tax, something that would have been, as I mentioned, palpable to many in the first century Judaism. But again... Because of the way Jesus has interacted, because of the way he's interacted particularly with the religious elites of the time, by religious elites, it has nothing to do with, with don't don't read modern, western, United States, current political, and when I'm saying religious elites, I'm not talking about the cultural global elites or anything like that, so yeah, yeah, go, no. And so, what I'm talking about 
is the leaders of the Sanhedrin and primarily the parties that were in most power at the time, which were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These were the, these were the parties in power. And yes, there was also the Essenes who had almost no power at all. You had the Zealots who were off and like they were, they were just constantly about rebelling against Rome. And then you had the Herodians who were just having parties all the time and were basically Roman. But primarily in the religious Jewish world, the Sadducees and the Pharisees had most of the power. Those were the religious elites or leaders at the time. And so Jesus' interactions, the reason those two are mentioned far more than the other three, is because they were the ones in power. They were the ones who the century previous to Jesus coming had really shaped the religious life of Judaism and all their practices, all the things that Jesus has been condemning throughout. So the assumption of the collector, does your teacher not pay the tax? Peter's response is, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. So this collector then, is told by Simon, Peter, yes, my teacher pays the tax. This undoubtedly would have been experience. This would have not been Peter saying, well, of course he does. He's a pious Jew. This is the experience of of being with Jesus these previous years, the ministry of seeing where this tax would come around yearly that they paid it. And so he's, he's basing it on experience. It's the only explanation that's, that's kind of clear since it's not explicitly stated from this interaction. And so the collector is told he will, he will pay it. And Jesus says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of earth take toll or tax? From their sons of, or others? And so the question itself is, as this collector has now come, which inevitably, when he collected the tax, the collectors would have been all throughout Judea, and based on the information or based on the historical account, every year they would kind of maybe extend their search out further and further, the stretches that would even kind of go beyond the stretches of Jerusalem, and it would go to synagogues and areas that had high Jewish populations, even all the way to different Roman provinces like Corinth and places like that, where there might have been these these subsets of, of large Jewish populations. But here he's, he's told that he's going to pay it, but Jesus, before he does, before he says or gets any money or anything like that, he asks Simon Peter the question of, of who is taxed. And he uses this phrase, the kings of the earth. And what that means, it's emphasizing the political realm. It's emphasizing the leaders of the world. And and, and if you have to understand, like, in terms of this taxation idea, um, at this time, there was no theocracy that made up Israel anymore. Right? That That had gone away a millennia earlier. But what they had instead was they were ruled over by a foreign government. Rome made all of the secular rules and each group that lived within the reach of Rome had to, they were given certain religious freedoms, they were given certain freedoms of how they worshipped and things like that, but they had to adhere to all of the civic rules of Rome. And so as such, they had taxes, heavy taxes, that they were all had to pay to Rome. If you didn't pay the tax to the Roman collectors, there weren't four or five exemptions that you could call on. And if you refused to pay the taxes, well, the penalties were quite harsh. Cities were raised to the ground who decided as a collective group, that they would no longer pay taxes. Roads were lined with crucifixions and of bodies lining the roads, and the purpose was to show anyone who walked the road what happened if you did not pay the tax of Rome. And so the Jews at this time had to pay taxes both to Rome, and they also had this tax that they paid to support the temple and the priesthood. But at this time, because of Herod, it was almost 
a simple going through the motions of an ancient thing that they did that was beautiful in their wanderings because they had what they had brought out of Egypt and they had all given together as a community to take care of tabernacle and take care of this new priesthood that was now ministering to them and receiving all their duties. And it was a shadow of what would happen when temple was finally built 500 years later. Is then the descendants of those priests and the descendants of all of those would then now be finally having service in a permanent place there in Jerusalem. And the priests would have, they would be dispersed among the territories. And the people would pay this tax knowing this tax pays for the food and it pays for the lodging and it pays for the beautification of the temple and all these things. But now... Herod had primarily taxed the people almost into oblivion 70 years earlier to beautify the temple. And the priesthood was corrupt at this time. And the religious elites had lost their way so much that that they they weren't even looking to the scriptures to teach the people anymore. They were looking to commentary on the scriptures written by religious leaders less than 100 years earlier. And yet Jesus still is going to pay this tax. But he asked Peter the question, who gets taxed by kings of the earth? Their sons or others? And Peter answers, others. And there's this beautiful phrase that Jesus throws out there. Then the sons are free. You see... Temple was nothing more. Please hear this and ask Bo about it later if you have a problem with it. Temple was nothing more than a picture of what was to come. Temple was not what we were to look for. Temple was not the end all temple represented God's presence on earth so people could come to his presence and be near it. And when Jesus is going to get closer to Jerusalem and pronounce, oh, Jerusalem, and he's going to say that the physical temple is going to be ruined. Nothing is left. He's pointing to the great reality that much more or much greater, way back in Matthew 12, when we were in there like two years ago, something greater than temple has arrived. And so as Jesus is considering this tax, considering everything, understand this tax collector, this lowly, unbelieving, unknowing tax collector, is there collecting a tax from God incarnate, who is representing that now the kingdom has arrived and is inaugurated and everything that came before it was a shadow, as the author of Hebrews would say, a picture of something greater. And now that greater is here and you're trying to collect taxes for him so you can beautify the temple. I know I have a weird sense of humor. I'm the only one who thinks that's interestingly funny. The greater has arrived. The temple is pointing to Christ. When he arrives, it's looking forward to this next age. These last days after his crucifixion, we're waiting for the resurrection. And then now the ascension. And now we're waiting for his return. The blessed hope of the Christian church. Jesus could have shown himself in his glory. He could have done anything in this moment. And yet all he does is ask a simple question. The sons are free of the tax. There's no tax that I need to pay. Or even in the plurality of the way that he uses it, those that are, are with Christ. And it says, look at the following. 
Then the sons are free at the end of 26. And 27, however, not to give offense to them. Again, this is not inner monologue. This is Jesus talking to Simon with the tax collector there. However, not to give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast out a hook. Take the first fish that comes up. And when he opens it mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So he pays, he's willing to pay the tax. He says, given not to offend them, go out. And, and anyone who's even remotely tried fishing before, and you're like, I need a fish right now. Just going to go get a hook. I'm going to go put some on there. There's some water. Watch this happen. <laughs> Hours later, the rod snapped in many pieces. Rage and language, unheard of. But that's the whole point. Jesus is just instructing Peter, who has seen the transfiguration, who has been given the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, who has shown himself one of great passion towards Christ and great ignorance at times. And yet he just goes, go throw a line in, and you're going to get a fish, and it's going to have what's, the, what's a, in, in modern-day equivalence of about $500 in its mouth. And Jesus is doing a few things here. Number one, he's showing who the king of all the earth is and that he's moving and doing these impossible things. And he's also showing the provision of God for his people. It's an interesting thing. Go get, essentially, a few weeks' worth of labor's worth of money at this time out of the mouth of a fish. Another miracle out of the mouth of a fish. And so Jesus is is paying this tax that in essence means nothing now that he's here. And he says, but so that we don't offend them. And yes, that's where I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning. Why does he say that? These are people that he's already acknowledged are steeped in ignorance. Here is God incarnate. And yet, in the same manner, Christ has said, their eyes are closed, their ears are blocked off, their hearts are hard until such a time. And yet, he pays this tax, and Peter's, in order to not offend. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is that word, or that phrase, to not give offense. At the time that it was said... The idea of what truth was was far different from what it is now. Now, don't take it as, yeah, there was, like, so in this culture right here, it, yes, Judaism was seen as, 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 a, as a type of religion. It was seen as inferior if you were a Roman citizen. Monotheism was weird to the Greeks and the Romans. But even in that, it was still seen as a legitimate religion. But all of the religions at least believed kind of this this idea that there was a shared truth, if you will. Uh, There was no such thing as an individual couldn't have been in the market square and been told to bow down to the the gods or the image of, of, uh, of the emperor and worship him. They couldn't have said, you know... It's interesting you say that. My truth, no. There was no hyper uh, vagueness idea of a a kind of a a multicultural um, idea of truth being fluid or being up to the individual. Uh, There was no... There was no idea of that, other than certain nascent ideas of of philosophy. And so relativism didn't exist. And so, yes, there's this idea of not giving offense to this idea of the tax for the temple. 
And so Jesus doesn't want to offend or even overturn what was going on in terms of the political world, although he had acknowledged distinctly it's the dilemmas that they had, it's deficiencies. Today, if you say you don't want to offend anyone, means you can't talk out loud in public anymore. And so if you say something that is true, someone else can say, well, that's not true to me. And now I'm offended. And now I'm triggered. And now saying that word out of my mouth, I'm also offended at myself. (laughs) And then that becomes the highest truth. The highest truth in our culture is don't offend anyone. And so this becomes a confusing text for us. Jesus doesn't want to offend anyone even though they're wrong. Well, what about us? We can't, we can't say anything to anyone in all of the prevailing wickedness that you see here or there, whatever it might be. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's clearly not what happens. Jesus is throwing over tables earlier, and he's going to throw another table over in a few chapters. Why? Because it had to do with the idea of what they were doing with worship of God. Jesus is going to call out publicly the leaders of this world, this religious world, when they're teaching falsely and putting people, in his own words, in bondage. Or, through their teaching, making them sons and daughters of hell. So how does this come to Christians in the 21st century in the United States and Texas? What does it have to do with being a Christian citizen? I think much. We're called to be lights of the world. We're called to be Christ-like in our interaction. That means that we're supposed to be, according to the scriptures, in our daily life, Not just living a certain way. Peter writes about this in his first epistle. What does it look like for someone to live like Christ in a society that is decidedly unchristlike? What it generally looks like is humility, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering. And Peter gives those examples as... Because you act this way in the midst of persecution, in the midst of adversity, the unbelieving world who is both doing the persecuting and watching it happen will scratch their heads. That's, that's not in there. We'll look at the Christian endurance and go, where does that hope come from? I fear, over the last several years, much of Christianity in the United States has lost its mind when it comes to political discourse. And so, it seems more like there's nothing better than to make sure You are offensive. The best offense is being offensive. Is that the new? And so what you'll see is discourse. Take the big ones today. Abortion. Evil. Completely evil. Putting to death children is one of the clearest examples of evil in the Bible, whether it's during the generation of Moses in Egypt, whether it's after the birth of Christ, under the reign of Herod, or if it's here and now in the Western world, where it's seen as a convenience, it's evil. I'm sorry for the next one. Sexualization of children, it's evil. It's clear that it's evil. 
It's clear from the text. The things that are being alluded to fell under death penalty in the Old Testament. I almost said the good old days. I stopped myself, but then now I shared my thoughts and it's too late. (laughs) These are the things that you see most of the fights over. And by fights, I mean we look at people or you look at people who disagree with you and you see them as your enemy. You see them as something other than. Now, certainly, there should be Christian discourse on a whole corpus of issues. Should there not? And because of some of the audience today, this is in my notes, and I almost don't want to say it, but the Roman Catholics and the Jews are doing a better job of this than we are. Engaging culture on a multifaceted level, not on a one, two issue area. And what, I, what do I mean by that? I mean that looking at the world as something that is going to be transformed utterly by Christ, which you will inherit. And yet while you are here in such a manner, empowered by the spirit, a part of this, a local fellowship being put strategically and specifically where you are in both time and geography there are more areas of culture if you will that Christ calls attention to than just those what about caring for the poor how often is caring for the poor mentioned in the new testament a lot Caring for the needy, the poor, the orphans, the widows. What else? And yet how often are those discussions had in evangelical Protestantism today? Now, I'm saying, and I understand fully, there's degrees. Abortion what's going on currently in the culture with the over-sexualization and all, everything that's happened that's been happening for, by the way, almost a century that's led us to the place we are today. But also, there's also these other areas that the church in the United States used to take as a whole, whether it was fully sanctified, reformed Christianity, and all the lesser variants. No one's going to laugh. And then... Everyone understood that, that our hands are supposed to be seen in everywhere we are. Where are you? In the workplace. Where are you walking? Where are your kids at? Where do you guys go out? Like, there's so much of the the society that is supposed to make us look at and say, that piece of society needs Christ-likeness in it. And the people, instead of looking at them as enemies, we should be looking at them as what they are. Broken sinners who cannot and will not obey God. And so are drawn away by whatever sinful desire drives them. And then whatever evil idea comes along that draws them to it. And as communal people... When you start seeing all your peers going, oh, yeah, that's what I believe, that's what I believe. And then you start, oh, I believe. And then they're just all marmots. Just, and then that's, that's it. And then everyone gets on this one thing. Society can turn in a heartbeat. And yet if the church is only focused on calling people names, where is that? Every aspect of Jewish culture at this time had jettisoned itself from its historic context. Even this tax was worthless at this point. Because of the corrupt nature, because of the fact that Herod had put, in essence, 
hundreds of millions of dollars in kind of current currency into beautifying the temple. The priesthood was purchased. The the leaders were politicians. It was all no good at all. But Jesus' time to tear it all down wasn't yet. And until that time, he is courteous. Here's your problem. You watch too much TV and scroll too much on Instagram or whatever you're doing these days, whatever you kids in your 70s are doing these days. And what it does is it riles you up. Why? Because I see that and I don't agree with that and I don't like that and now I'm angry. And that person who's saying it or doing it, they're dumb, they're stupid. They're all the words you tell your kids not to call their siblings. Thank you. Where do you see that in the New Testament? The world, the Roman world was transformed. How? By people who believed that the only way to transform society was to evangelize those around them, stand up, in, in, a, in a way that could lead to your death and saying, this is what I believe. These are the ethics of life that God has laid forward. I believe killing children is evil because they are a gift to the parent and they are ordained to life by God himself who is creator and Redeemer, and they are an image bearer, the Imago Dei, and to snuff them out. is evil. And if you do it, it will ruin you. Also, every aspect of culture that the Christian church partakes in means that Christ, as we're called, as ambassadors, as as heralds, we are every, he is everywhere we go. And so the reality is that good Christian citizenry is always under the understanding that they're representing Christ. And some of you I know have had the opportunity and often are a part of political discourse and awesome and things like that. And, and you have to really tone down what's going on a lot of times with, with how upset you really are. Why? Because your witness is important. Stop watching so many things that enrage you. Stop hoping or having your hope in the next election cycle. In Daniel 4, Daniel says, God appoints kings of the earth. Think about that. Nebuchadnezzar, who was over him at the time, and all the terrible kings that would come after him. During the writing of the New Testament, but the the life of the apostles... There were three Roman emperors. I don't know why I did one. There were three Roman emperors who considered themselves deities. Gaius, who would change his name to Caligula. Domitian. And then during the writing of Romans 13, Nero. They were deities. They, they made people, they made statues and told people they were gods and people must worship them and bow down to them. Culture doesn't get much worse than that. Yet in that, Paul is writing to the church to obey. How do you write such a thing? Well, the reality is, is that now, and this is kind of the the idea of a Christian ethic, is to obey the authorities. Pay your taxes. If you think things are bad in the government, if you really believe elections are stolen and all these things, Maybe they are. Are you surprised that people in power are corrupt? 
You shouldn't be. That's the scope of history. And pretty soon what happens is your hope is in the next election cycle, the next person, the next one who will not be corrupt, (laughs) will not be this or will not be that. And they're going to save the country. They're not. Corruption is what we're supposed to expect. How many of you are disappointed that Texas has an overwhelming conservative majority in the House and Senate and literally gets nothing done? How many of you are surprised? If you are, never mind. Don't be surprised. With power comes corruption. We're not supposed to be like the Essenes who blocked themselves off from society. You're not supposed to just watch one news channel and call the other side evil. You're not supposed to do anything that looks like you're supposed to be in society, not in the world. Not Do not love the world, even though we're in the world. But where you go, you bring the spirit with you. Where you go, you bring the verities, the truth of scripture with you. And where you go, that means when you interact and come across real issues, you have the gospel to share with people. A new president, a new senator, a new governor, that's not the hope. The hope is Christ and him crucified. That's how hearts are transformed. You will not argue a pagan into anything that is good or anything that is godly. Only the Spirit can transform them. But that doesn't mean don't try. And the final piece. Obeying the governing authorities. I don't have enough time. Paul goes through the discourse in 13 of the book of Romans, chapter 13. It actually is, is segued into by the end of 12 and 19, where he, asks, he says, do not seek revenge. And then he goes into the government bearing the sword. God is rising up and pulling down rulers as he sees fit to the purpose of his glory until the return of Christ. And until such a time, you are to live Christ-like lives in a manner that understands if there comes a time when the government tells you to obey and do something ungodly and you disobey because you will not disobey God's law, that is the right type of rebellion. Not opening up the safe and going, I've been preparing for this for 20 years. Yeah, you guys are laughing, no, yeah, okay, something to pray about. No, I'm following Christ, and that means I disobey the governing authorities, then I can't be surprised at the cost I might pay for it. And throughout the history of the church, those are the names that shout from Christian history. I will not bow down. I will not renounce Christ. I refuse And the Romans marveled. The more of them we kill, the larger the church grows. So in parting, all of this idea of kind of a mishmash of of understanding why, how possibly would Christ consent to paying this tax and counting it up as a way as to not to offend, the ease with which he comes up with the ability to supply for him and Peter. But more than anything, the sons are free. Whatever is happening in your life, and I know many of the burdens that many of you carry, and many of you I don't, If you are in Christ, 
away from the main idea of, of citizenry and all these things, if you're carrying sin, shame, heartache, fear, Christ calls you to give that to him. He purchased that on the cross. And if you think in your mind, you don't know the sin, I might not. You don't know the shame, I probably don't. But if you think it's hidden from God, he already knows. As a matter of fact, when he was on the cross... He died for those moments, those moments that you're holding to that are ruining you and ruining your fellowship. That was meant for him. And he wants you to give that to him. Confess your sins. Give up your shame. Whatever it is, the gospel of Christ calls you to life. Not in the hope of here and now, but in the life to come. Be freed as a child of God by repenting of sin, by releasing the shame and giving it up to Him. If you need help, reach out to someone and ask for help. Because then you're really living. And it may lead to death. That was a nice segue, right? But that's what we see celebrated in the New Testament. We see a celebration of faith and belief in the world to come. And a full acknowledgement that the world we're in is broken and sinful. And all that we can do, the church, is continue to live in a Christ-like manner, sharing that in our life and our faith with others, evangelizing, discipling, until daily we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that your church would the church universal would hold fast to your example. Lord, I pray that we've been challenged and Lord, I pray we've been comforted by the same gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified in our continued worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.